Hey you guys, this is the Couplings Fire Podcast. Here's a couple of things you might need to know or maybe you just forgot. I'm Taylor, a volunteer firefighter and also a firewife to my favorite firefighter. Join me as I talk anything and everything fire-related. I don't claim to be an expert. I just love to talk fire, and everything I say is my own opinion. My goal to inspire anyone listening to take the steps to bettering their department however they can. Let's get on to the episode. Hey you guys, welcome back to another episode of the Couplings Fire podcast. I'm your host Taylor. It's nice to have you here with us, with me, with, yeah, it's not like I'm here with somebody else. (laughs) I don't have like my favorite neighborhood ghost Casper or something, you know, like, (laughs) just me, just me this time. I've been really trying to uh, get guests in here for you guys to kind of hear another voice and have some good back and forth on conversation, right? And I'm kind of liking this almost, almost every other week kind of vibe for that. You know, I'm able to come on here and um, just give you a full episode of just me and what's going on inside my crazy head and an episode of whatever else with whoever else for another episode. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that actually that trend keeps up for a while. Um, so it's funny. Okay, so... It, I'm sitting here drinking this awesome beer. I went to this tiny little brewery, winery. It's both. It is both. They have beers and and uh, wine there that they make. And it was freaking fantastic over the weekend. Um, um, but I got to thinking, so <laughs> am I turning into, well, granted, maybe I shouldn't say turning into because this podcast has kind of been like this since the beginning. When Chris was first on here, and even now, uh, I get into random stuff, like a pre-episode talk, right? Like, about sometimes it's an actual interesting topic, and sometimes it's just some some updates in life, or sometimes just random, just whatever I feel like talking about before I get into the episode. Am I turning into a food blog? Like, oh no. Like, is, is that what, is that... Is that what's happening to me? Do I need a jump to the recipe type section? You know, little button to click on. Like, here, click here to jump to the actual episode. Like, <laughs> like I, I just realized how much I despise recipes like that, you know, or things. It's just, it's, I don't want to hear your entire life story. Just get to the topic. Now, I, I'd like to hope that you guys kind of come for a little bit of me too, of just, uh, I don't know what I'm up to. And the more you learn about me, the more you learn about my stances on things, my takes on things. And maybe it all makes sense then. I don't know. So maybe you enjoy this part. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Um, As far as I know, there's no real way, unless I put it down in the show notes, to actually tell you where the actual episode topic starts. So I guess if they ever find a way to do that as a button, I'll put it in. I don't know. I I don't have a YouTube page right now, so I'm thinking about it, but, you know, so, like, I mean, it'd be easy in there. Anywho, random thought. I just started thinking about that, like, am I turning into a food blog? (laughs) Well, I promise you this intro won't be very long, okay? That's, That's pretty much it. That's what I have to say. And there's a stupid fly flying all the way around my desk, and I'm going to be right back because I'm going to kill it. And he's he's going to pay. 
And of course, like the scared little wimp he is, as soon as I get the fly swatter, he is nowhere to be found. That's annoying. Anywho. <laughs> Off of this food blog thing. Hopefully this is less than either right out about or a little bit less than five minutes for you guys. Not too bad. Not my worst. I mean, there's been other episodes where we don't get into the main episode topic for like 20 minutes. So cheers. <laughs> All right. I want to preface this episode like I preface every episode, but this one specifically, I am not an expert in this. I don't have experience with actually fighting a Main Street fire. I want to be very upfront about that. Why I'm doing this episode <laughs> and why I think it's important is because I think a lot of volunteer departments have a hard time with knowing where to start your planning process at. This is not a plan to fight Main Street fires. That's not what this is going to be about. This is basically going to get you to think. This is going to go over a bunch of different thoughts that have gone through my head over the years and maybe a few ideas on how to gather the information and making sure that you have what you need available to you to start making a good plan <laughs> for these fires, okay? That is what this episode is. It is not advice on how to fight it. I am not telling you there's a right or wrong way. I'm not even saying this is all the stuff you need to gather out there. There's probably more. I can guarantee there's more that I'm not even going to talk about in today's episode. But this is a place to start. If you, if you have nothing else, if you are starting from ground zero, this is some stuff that I think you need to gather to be able to start making your plan. And at least doing these steps is going to help you out a lot more than not having it and having a call come out and you're going to that Main Street fire and you're having to do all this on the fly. That's not fun. <laughs> so, let's dig in. <laughs> so, first thing about a Main Street fire, it's not like anything else in town, right? Um, at least not typically, especially in small town America. You know, you have buildings that are connected to each other. That doesn't usually happen, especially here in the Midwest where I'm at. That doesn't usually happen. We're pretty spread out. Granted, it may be, it may be similar to other like townhouses or things in other places, but yeah, there's nothing like that here. I've seen a lot of bricked up windows and that's not great because a lot of times I tend to see them up on the second floor second story or even third story of some buildings and uh that completely diminishes your your path of egress next thing is every business is different you know you're going to have so many different types of businesses right next to each other on on main streets you're going to have a floral shop right next to a clothing store right next to an insurance place maybe right next to a coffee shop right next to um Sometimes these hardwares or things, you know, you're going to have different businesses lined up right next to each other. And because of that, the fire load changes and the fire conditions can be affected because of that. Um, a lot of times you'll get second and third stories on these buildings. And in a very, very small town, third stories are not very common. And you have your own sort of... Um, <laughs> obstacles that come along with that with those and then you have basements 
some main streets have them, some main streets don't. And then with these basements, some are some are finished and some are unfinished. Some are full of stuff and some are completely empty. So a couple of things you need to remember to do with your main street fire planning is know your construction conditions. Know as much as you can about each building. Always do a full 360. Always. <laughs> this comes to beforehand or your pre-planning. Make sure you know that building inside and out. Or at least somebody does. And you have you have a pre-plan of it. Um, and on scene, you're going to have to do that full 360. And this can be tough. We'll talk about that getting into it. But it can be tough on scene to do a full 360. But you need to. And then gather as much information as possible beforehand. The, the more information you have beforehand, the better off you're going to be in the long run. Because you're not going to be running around trying to find information. You're already going to have it at your fingertips. The important part with that is knowing how to organize your information so it's not just a whole bunch of blurb notes <laughs> in a line. You need to be able to have it organized so you can quickly sift through it. And so if you know you're looking for something specific, you know where to find it in your information notes. Okay, so one of the first things I would start looking at is what does your hydrant or water supply look like right there on Main Street? Um, a lot of towns are very lucky and they're able to have at least some hydrants on Main Street. Others, not so much. They may only have one, if any at all. You know, so, so keep a number of your hydrants. Um, actually, this is something... We did in our past department. Uh, Chris and I actually went around a couple different days and we marked every single hydrant in the city limits. And we color coded them. So we knew, okay, here are all the red hydrants. Here's a black one. Here's a green one. Here's an orange one, right? And you had them all up and you can do this on Google Maps. You can actually have a dedicated map for it. Uh, I won't run through how to do that. You can look it up on YouTube or somewhere else online on how to do that. Create your own Google map. But then, yeah, you can just drop a little pin where your hydrants are. It's fantastic to have. I can't tell you how many times I used it. <laughs> it was so nice because all it took was just quick pulling out of the phone, opening up that Google Maps, and, oh, here's our nearest hydrant on the way to a scene or something. Or if I were on... A grass fire and on the tanker driving back you know somebody else was driving right but I'd be in the other seat and I would quick look all right where is the closest hydrant to us for us to be able to fill up from and I'd have it marked and you can do this um, I said it in town but you can do it with like if you have wells outside of town you're allowed to use or certain ponds or something you know uh, that are will be available go ahead and mark those on the map maybe as a blue or something right or as a different color so you know what types of fill sites those are. So that's a nice little little thing to have a little extra there for you guys. So with your hydrants, let's say hydrants specifically right now, know how many you have. <laughs> and then know your supply out of that hydrant. You know, are, are you going to suck this thing dry? Are you on a loop system? Or are you on a dead end right there? How, how much can you pull out of the system? Have you done it before? If you haven't done it before, I would suggest doing it once or twice at least. Get a good get a good feel on if you can do it. And don't just hook up one truck to one hydrant. If you have multiple hydrants, put multiple trucks out and pull from those hydrants at the same time. 
test different things, do things different ways. See, you know, try to double tap your hydrants and stuff, you know. Um, maybe if you if you have or if you think you're going to need a lot of water, why not do a scenario where you set up maybe set up a bunch of different pumpers pulling off a of hydrants, right? But then you also have drop tanks available too. Maybe you do that. Maybe you combine both options. You know, and if you if you're just stuck to just drop tanks, then just set up your drop tanks how you would or, um, you know, learn some other ways to do it too. But test it. Test how fast you can get water there, how much of a constant stream you can get going, what you have available to you, right? Testing this stuff beforehand will be a lifesaver because you've done it before. You know what you can do. You know what the system can handle and what it can't. You, you're going to know when you need to call in for other for other help or if you need to maybe go to a different um, hydrant loop or if you need to go to a different um, fill station, let's say, you know, from a farmer or whatever. Whatever you need to do, you're going to know that beforehand. You're going to know your limits. And something that it's a little off, it doesn't quite fit with this, but I didn't really know where to put it. <laughs> Make sure that you set up your trucks in a way that makes sense for you. The whole big thought of over all this is no, you cannot plan for every scenario. You cannot plan that a fire is going to happen in this specific building and this is the way it's going to go and so this is the way your trucks are set up. I get that. But you can have a couple guidelines. You can't say that, okay, the fire is going to be starting here. So maybe this would be our best setup for that. Maybe the fire might be happening here on this other part or other section. This might be the best setup for that. Of course you can change things the day of. Of course you can do whatever you need to do, but then you have a good idea. You've thought about it. You know, think about, are you going to be needing to move your trucks around during all this? I remember when Chris and I were watching, we mentioned back on another episode, I can't remember what, it was a while ago, we talked about the Notre Dame fire and how, I'm, I'm pretty sure we talked about how they needed to move trucks around in there. And they were just having a tough time because they had all these lines of five inch down and things and just, uh, you know, just trying to move their trucks just was like almost a nightmare because they had to keep hooking and unhooking from everything. And, you know, that could be the same situation for you. So you need to take into account are you going to need to move your trucks? Are you going to need to get other trucks that aren't yours in there after yours are set up? Where do they need to set up? You know, do they need to be partially on a sidewalk on the other side of the street? That's a that's a possibility. You know, are, do you have the capabilities to be able to do that? Do you have parking meters? Some places do. You know, uh, what happens if this big fire happens in the middle of the day and there are tons of cars parked there? that could cause some big problems. How are you going to work around that? Because if you always train that maybe your your truck is going to set up on part of a sidewalk on the other side of the street and that's not available, what's your plan then? No, you can't plan for everything, but you can have a couple basic guidelines on to what may be the best practice for a couple different scenarios. Okay. <laughs> Uh, another thing to think about, the difficult access to some of these buildings. 
and sometimes the alleyways. Actually, a lot of times the alleyways. Alleyways freaking suck. <laughs> it's really tight in there for a lot of trucks, and uh, you have all sorts of hazards with, I mean, how many cars? If, you, if you've gone down your alleyways down Main Street lately, how many cars are parked behind the buildings that stick out a little bit and make it harder for other cars to go down the alley? And I know I've seen quite a bit. <laughs> you have tons of uh, power lines running everywhere and phone lines. You have, it's just, it's tight down there in the first place. And then you have these other hazards. You know, are you going to be needing to get your ladder truck back to the back for some reason? Can you even get it back to the back of it? Is there at least maybe one spot behind you might be able to set up your ladder truck? Have you have you tried it before to actually know if it's going to work or not? Let's just talk about getting ladders back in the back alleyways in general. You know, are you able to pull your truck down to get the ladders off down there? Maybe your ladders come off the side and there really wouldn't be room. So you're going to have to huff it down half the alleyway, depending if it's in the middle or not. And again, you got all those power lines and stuff back there. You got to watch out for those too. So know where you can set your ladders up at. If you're on a department that combines their truck and engine work into, into the same truck, which a lot do, a lot of volunteer departments do that, are, is your pumper going to be stuck at the front of the building or on the side doing that? Let's say, let's say it's at the very, very front in the middle of the block. And you gotta take those ladders and bring them all the way around in the middle of the alleyway. Let's ask realistically, can your firefighters do that very easily? How fast can they do it? You know, is it gonna take five minutes? Is it gonna take two? Is it gonna take 10 or 15 minutes to get that ladder set up? How long does it take you to do that? If you know how long it takes you to typically do something, especially around a big distance like that, you're going to be able to pre-plan or have, have a good plan in your mind while you're the IC to what's happening or what needs to happen and how long it's going to take. <laughs> you know, because it take, if it takes your firefighter five or so minutes to get to the back of the building, you're going to have to be delayed on whatever you do the front for that five minutes possibly too. You may not want to send a team in without that ladder in the back. Those are all things you gotta think about. So talking about the alleyways, the rear door entrances to a lot of these buildings, are they marked? Are they all, every single one, clearly marked that even firefighters not from your own department, let's say from mutual aid, can they identify which door they need to go into? That is the right one. I'm, I'm interested to hear the answer on this one. <laughs> that can play a huge role. It really can. Because um, what, what, what if you start an operations or certain type of something in one building, but they go into the wrong building? You know, what, what if they need to go one business to the north and they accidentally open up the door to the building that's on fire? They either introduce oxygen or they create a new flow path and screw things up. Not on purpose. It's not, it's not their fault. Doors were not clearly marked. And that gets confusing in alleyways or can. And then you got to consider forcible entry in the back. 
consider what types of of uh, of locks they have of what you may need for tools so that way you're not running back and forth and back and forth the tools trying to like figure out what you actually need or not you know make sure that your people know how to get into these doors if they're locked because especially in the middle of the night they're going to be locked businesses aren't stupid <laughs> they're going to protect their stuff so you need to be able to know your forceful entry and a lot of times um respectful entry if, if you guys can take a respectful entry class or look up on it I highly suggest it. The less damage you do to a business, the better. The less damage you do to a building, the better. If you have to completely force the door and break the door off or let's say cut holes or whatever, that's another opening you can't necessarily close again. All right, so moving on. Get some building plans or a layout of each business and building from the business owners. This is something I've been thinking about for years. It's pretty simple. You can do it a few different ways. One way is to basically send some graph paper or whatever to your business owner and ask them to fill it out to the best of their knowledge. Pretty basic. Have them measure everything if they can, have them tell you where entrances and exits are. Maybe there's some, a few different rooms in the building. Um, maybe they can tell you where some of their hazardous materials or something are at, depending on what they have in there. Um, have them fill it out as best as possible. And then you can either do that or have, or skip that step and just go in yourself. <laughs> but then you have a firefighter go into that business and talk with them. And it's not, this isn't a fire inspection. That's not what this is for. You aren't there to tell them what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. You aren't there necessarily to critique everything. Now, if you see something that's really bad, you should really say, hey, you should probably not do this because of this. Yeah, I would, I would say do that. But you're not going in there to scare them. You're going in there under the best intentions, and you need to make this known to them, that you are going in there so that if there is ever a fire in their place, you are best set up to help their business survive, to help their building survive. So then you go in and you double check everything or you do the whole plan yourself. You write everything out, you figure out where all the rooms are, you check upstairs, downstairs, everything you need to list any hazards and anything you can think of. Some general things you need on there, is there a layout? Do they possibly have a second floor residence? I know I've seen a lot of times there are either apartments up there where the owner lives there, just because it's easier to make one payment than two, or sometimes they lease it out to a, to, a, uh, to a tenant to live up there. I've also seen where some business owners actually have kind of a hangout area where no one technically lives up there, but maybe there's a pool table or maybe there's just a couch and TV or some other things upstairs. So people could be up there at any time. You don't really know. Make sure you list your access points. Um, so front and rear access are going to be your typical. <laughs> but also make sure that you list wherever your windows are, if there are windows in the building. Keep a list of any um, construction conditions that you come across. So is stuff in really good condition? Or do you see rotting floors? Do you see um, just other hazards of areas that maybe is potential for collapse? 
You know, is there a certain type of material in there that you're not used to dealing with for building construction when it comes to fighting fires? What's the type of fire load in there? Is it a bunch of paper from a newspaper place, let's say, or a printing company? Is it, do you have a lot of uh, flowers in there and stuff like that and um, home knickknacks and stuff that you might see at a flower shop? Do you have a lot of clothing? Like we said earlier, do you have like a hardware or something in there? And the last thing, is it organized or is it cluttered? You know, the differences between these two can affect what conditions your firefighters are going to be going into if they go interior for a Main Street fire. So you're going to want to be as prepared as you can for that. And then with all this information that you get from your walkthrough, get from all from the layout and everything, I would suggest keeping it in a book on the trucks, uh, maybe a book in the station. Uh, if you have a Google Drive, I would highly suggest having it there so that anyone who has access to that Google Drive can jump into it. So, you know, multiple, multiple officers, or let's say, or different people can be looking at it at the same time. Um, I know some of the responding apps actually have some sections that you can put on your pre-plans as well. The important part, like I said in the beginning of this, is to make sure that you have that information stored in a way where you can easily sift through to find what you're looking for. <laughs> That's going to be the most important thing to all of this. All right, next thing to start thinking about when you start planning for your main street fire pre-plan strategy tactics, whatever, <laughs> so, so official. <laughs> um, what does your mutual aid look like? You know, who, who can you call that have the training for this kind of a fire, that have the, the trucks or uh, trucks or engines? You guys already know I call them all trucks. I know, I'm wrong, whatever. What's new? <laughs> you know, what, what, what kind of trucks do they have? Do they have anything that's specialized that you may need or want, you know? Big things might be, do they have a tanker that you need if you need it? Do they have a... A platform ladder or a stick ladder that you can use you know what can they bring and what is their overall capability to take on this type of a fire with you now I don't want it to sound like I'm dogging on any department that is not what I'm gonna get into <laughs> some departments are trained in different ways some departments are better capable for certain types of fires than other departments that is a fact that is not against any department. That is not saying any department is not a good department. <laughs> but you need to know where people's strong suits are, where department's strong suits are, and assign them to those tasks to make the best overall team you can. It's like in football. Why would I have... I don't know why I keep using football. I don't even like football, really. I keep using it because I feel like you guys might understand what I'm talking about then. <laughs> but why would you have somebody who's a really good thrower, might be a great quarterback, why would you have him be tackling somebody else? That doesn't make any sense. That's not where he's best suited to be. You want him to be a tackler. He's probably terrible at blocking, <laughs> right? What if you have somebody who's super, super fast, right? They can catch a ball like nobody's business, but they can't really kick one. Why would you have them be the kicker? That doesn't make any sense. No, have them catch the ball, not kick the ball. 
it's the same idea here. You're building your best team for an incident like this. So you're going to take the departments that you are going to call on for these fires and you're going to put them in the area that they are best going to succeed and you're going to win as a team. We are here for the community. We are not here to boost egos. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so nothing against any any department, any mutual aid department, anyone out there. I just want to get the point across that you need to make sure who you're putting on these different assignments for it, that you trust them to get the job done and that they're going to do it well, whatever it may be. So know what their capabilities are, know what their training is for it, and put them in the spot that it makes sense. I'm going to put a, a group, maybe let's say that do a ton of grass fires but not a lot of structure fires. I'm probably going to put them on, on either um, relaying water to the scene or pumping a lot. Those are things that are going to be well within their wheelhouse and they're going to be fantastic at it. But then I'm going to take the team that maybe does a lot more training on structure fires rather than grass fires. Maybe they're terrible at grass fires, let's say, but they do a lot on structure fires. I'm going to make sure that they're the ones going inside or doing roof ventilation if need be, whatever it is. I'm going to be setting up my team for success, not against anyone, before the cause. Wow, that got, that got intense. Okay. <laughs> but you need to have those hard conversations with your mutual aid. You need to have those hard conversations in your own department with your command staff. It's the fact of life. I'm sorry, but you need, you need to have those to be able to make this work and to be able to have the best plan as possible. So moving on to my next thought in this. Some stores may be needed to be treated like, like hoarder fires. What I mean by this is think of mm, a local knickknack store or floral shop or whatever. You usually walk into these. They're gorgeously set up. I love them. It's so fun to shop in them because you have to go around them like two or three times to actually really see anything. And it's, it's really cool. And they, they decorate it up. It's not like stacked shelves of like, here's one product down the whole line. You know, it's, it's very much organically placed and it's, it's very pleasing to look at. I love shopping at these stores. Anytime I go to another small town, I try to find stores like these cause they're fun. And Quite honestly, they're the stores my mother-in-law likes to go into too, so that's great. <laughs> you know, it's someplace I know I can take her and she's going to enjoy the crap out of it. But if you think about it, those, are the, those stores pretty much resemble a hoarder-type environment. You may have stacked pillows here. You may have tons of, let's, let's say Christmas especially, you may have tons of Christmas trees in this corner or like a bunch of Christmas trees everywhere, tons of ornaments on them. You have stuffed animals, stuffed in different things. You have different wood block things and stuff. You have different shelving units that are just covered with stuff. But a lot of times you have these big piles of things that you kind of have to dig through and look through and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. But that's like a hoarder house. That is exactly like a hoarder house. You go into a floral shop, it's usually the same way. At least the ones I like to go into. <laughs> you know, they may have more of just their normal flower stuff at the back, but in the front, they're going to have um, a lot more of their um, fake flowers and things or arrangements or whatnot. 
you know, just knickknacks everywhere. So you have to treat those a little bit differently. You have to know what conditions your firefighters will be going into, that they're going to have to be crawling around in this. And it may be very confusing and disorienting. You know, what? where stuff can tumble over so easily in stores like that, you know, I'm, I would very much anticipate walking into the one, first of all, not figuring out which path, how you get to the very back of the store in the first place, because it's not a straight shot most of the time. You have to weave in and out of these paths to get there. There's usually more than one way to get back there, but you could get easily lost and end up back at your fire hose in a circle. <laughs> but while you're doing that, you're pulling your hose along, and especially if it's limited uh, visible conditions in there, heavy smoke or whatever, you won't be able to see the stuff on either side, and there may be tons of stuff falling either on top of you or on top of your hose line, causing a bunch of problems, and may be able to hinder you finding your way out again. It's a very scary thought to have that, you know, you could go into a business like that and can't find your way out because stuff is everywhere. I've never taken a hoarder class. I've wanted to. <laughs> and someday I, I hope to. Um, then I, I would know better how to approach a situation like that. But that's what I would equate this to. Um, at, let's say, a printing service or, um, eh, not like a post office, but if you guys have like a FedEx or something or UPS in town, a shipping place like that, or shipping slash printing, um, newspaper, did I say newspaper already? I don't remember. Maybe you have a graphic design place in town that does a lot of paper products and stuff. Any type of paper products like that, that is going to be a lot of hot and fast fuels for you. <laughs> so, you know, keep aware. Keep aware of what building is which building and what they have in each building. Um, you have your antique stores, which is very much going to be set up like your flower shop and knickknack stores. I don't even know what to call those. I feel like knickknack stores doesn't quite make sense, but you guys should know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but your antique stores are going to be set up the same way. You know, and another type of weird fuel load in there, or just kind of weird condition you're going to come up on, let's go back to that Ace Hardware type store. How many chemicals are in there? Types of chemicals. What fuel loads are in there? You know, what hazards are in there for you? You have spray paint all over the place. You have tons of chemicals for your lawn and stuff, you know, that are in there. Um... What is in there that you need to be aware of <laughs> before you go in? And then one of my last little thoughts on this. What are just some other danger spots you need to think of? Okay, what's the upstairs look like? We've gone through we've gone through a little bit, but I just kind of want to recap. What's your upstairs look like? Are there living spaces up there? Are there hangout spaces up there? Is it completely empty? Is it one big room? Or is that also sectioned off? Because that's going to affect your fire behavior. You know, what's the basement look like? Can you walk into it? Is there a certain door you have to go down a stairwell for it? Do you have to lift up a hatch to go down there? Is it finished or is it unfinished? Is it sloped or are there stairs and flat ground? Is it completely full of stuff <laughs> or is it empty? You never know. If those are finished basements, you might have residences down there too. So you can't expect 
main streets to be unoccupied in the middle of the night. You just can't. You have to know. And even if you know if they are or aren't unoccupied, do you ever actually know? Even in small towns, do you get people staying in those places that don't tell anybody else? Maybe you have someone say, oh, I have this extra room upstairs you can stay in for a couple nights or a week while you're hunting here. That happens. You have no idea. So you cannot determine if there is no one in those buildings until you go in and search. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> Looking at these windows, especially the second and third floors of some of these buildings. Are they bricked in? Do you have any paths of egress once you get past the first floor? Are your firefighters even safe going up to the next floor? If you don't pay attention to that before you go into the building, they may go up there. They may feel glass. I've talked to a business owner and uh, I noticed they had bricked up windows. And he said, yeah, 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 they're bricked up, uh, but we still have the glass behind it. Uh, what? Like, I don't know a lot about building construction. I will be very honest. It's an area that I'm locking in that I want to go learn more in. But to me, when I hear bricked up windows or when I see them, I assume they've taken the glass out. They're completely bricked up. They're sealed. Not with these ones. No, they were bricked on the outside, but they had the glass on the inside. Now, you may not think that's a big deal, but if you don't pay attention to see if you have bricked up windows or not, if you have low visibility or it's nighttime or whatever, and you're a firefighter inside and you feel a window with your hand, you feel the glass, and you really need to get out, you're going to try to get out there because you think it's an exit. You're going to try to get someone else to set up a ladder on the outside of that so you can get out. You know, the, those are the situations that we need to make sure don't happen. Because those are situations that can potentially kill firefighters. <laughs> so know your buildings. Know, know if they have bricked up windows. And know if, know if there's any other access to an escape route other than the stairs downstairs from the second or third floors. Otherwise, you are really going to have to weigh the pros and cons and decide strategically yourself if it's worth it to make to have someone go up there or not, if they need to. Um, but these old buildings, you have a lot of old construction with new additions or partitions in them. I've touched on it before in a previous episode. That may affect fire conditions because of the way fire reacts to old and new materials. Anytime a renovation happens in these buildings can change the fire behavior. <laughs> so know that. <laughs> I think I'm, I feel like I'm just going to keep saying that with everything. Know it, know it, know it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. Just the way it's going to be this one, this episode. One, have you thought about this one? Loose bricks or building ornaments on the outside of the building? I know plenty of buildings in different towns, several different towns, where the ornaments up top are not very secure. Of times where actually some have fallen before or aren't completely attached 
but are heavy enough that they never really move, right? You know, some of those, even through storms, will stay. But you don't actually know if they're going to stay during a fire, do you? They may fall. They may pose pose a threat to anyone you have down there, you know? So you need to have, you know, it's a, it's a good idea to have a good collapse radius for these Main Street buildings. And you guys, what's the collapse radius for a building? Everyone say it together. Three, two, one. One and a half times the building size. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. Sorry, you guys. <laughs> But you need to be aware of these uh, of of uh, of the ornaments or different bricks or whatever falling because especially with these bricks you don't know how long it's been since they put in you don't know necessarily the condition of them until you get up close and looking at it so it could start falling apart on you kind of out in the middle of nowhere if you're not paying attention and the last the last last thing on the some danger spots you know things other things to look for is just remember these are connected buildings it's possibly going to react differently than just a single structure fire. Um, you don't know if there are fire breaks in there or not. At least I don't. Maybe you do. Maybe you know enough about building construction you actually know. <laughs> Great. I'll get there someday. <laughs> you know, how does... Think of how fire can jump from building to building. Think about... Uh, learn smoke reading. You know, so you can apply it to these Main Street buildings. So you can tell if it's starting to get into the next one over or not. Overall, recapping this entire episode, learn your area, learn your buildings, get as much information as possible, and make sure it's not just you, the chief officers or captains, getting this information and knowing this information. It's important that all of your firefighters do too. I was, I was talking on Clubhouse, and I had to mention it at some point this episode. <laughs> I couldn't get away with that, right, without mentioning it. But I was talking to people on Clubhouse today about how there are way too many firefighters out there who follow around their captains at the heel and wait for them to tell them what to do. And I personally believe that it is lack of training and lack of teaching our firefighters that they need to be knowledgeable in these things on their own, think for themselves, take action, and be responsible with it. The fire service as a whole tend to treat the lowest volunteer firefighter level as incompetent. And it shouldn't be that way. So the more your firefighters learn about building construction, about smoke reading, about tactics, about um, <laughs> Main Street fire planning, about anything, the more knowledge that they have, the better firefighters they're going to be. And the more that you can go and command and not have to give them every single note on the to-do list they're going to be able to think for themselves and get the job done, freeing you up to do important things, <laughs> to do officer things. <laughs> so every firefighter needs to, needs to be learning this stuff, needs to be in on, in on the state of these buildings. Because especially if the firefighters are the ones who are inside 
going through this, if they don't know a lot of this information of where things can be found and you're just relaying it to them from the plans on the radio, communication is absolutely key. And if you think you're communicating effectively, but they don't understand it, they're going to say they understand it because they think they do. But they may be doing something completely differently or not overall not understand what you're saying to the fullest extent and things can go differently than what you planned. That was a really confusing way of saying that. I just realized. But I don't want to re-record that last part. <laughs> Smarter firefighters. More knowledgeable firefighters. More well-read firefighters. More trained firefighters. Makes for easier and smoother flowing firegrounds. No questions about it. And I hope that you push each and every one of your firefighters. And if you're just a firefighter, I hope you push yourself to learn more. Not to go back to everybody and prove you're an Odal. No, 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 no. But to go and be an asset to your department when they need it. That's why you get this information. That's why you get this knowledge. Okay. Stepping off of that a little bit. So... I kind of gave you some thoughts, again, basic overall what to think about to be able to start making your plan for fighting a Main Street fire. So where do you actually get the information <laughs> to actually do a pre-plan or learn how to fight these fires? Well, it's not going to be for me, at least not for a long time, because I need to learn that <laughs> before I teach it. <laughs> but I do have a couple of resources for you, places to start looking and start learning. One place that I have heard shouldn't say place, one person I have heard talked above high heavens for, and I've listened to some of her stuff and I love it. I really do. You have Lex Shady. She started a, a blog. Um, it's called the firefighting in legacy buildings. So if you look up firefighter and sorry, firefighting in legacy buildings.com read up on her stuff. She, and I, I, from what I believe it came from a spot of her wanting to know more about it herself. So she started writing. She started learning. She started figuring this out. And she started telling the world what she learned. So everyone else could get better too. So go look up the blog. She currently also has a podcast with Chris Tobin. Uh, you can find this podcast under Fire Engineering's um, platform of podcasts. So for you guys who don't know, if you go to your podcast app and look up Fire Engineering, you're going to find their main podcast uh, channel and then within that you will find Main Street firefighting within there okay there's a lot of other really good shows under fire engineering and I encourage you to go look at those too a um, couple other resources for you you have just go look up articles firehouse fire rescue fire engineering start looking up <laughs> this Main Street fire stuff start looking up just general building construction the more you know about building construction in general will help you not just in Main Street, but with everything. If you are able, any building you walk into, if you walk into Main Street businesses a lot, start looking around. If you see something interesting, maybe ask the owner, hey, what is that? Or hey, just curious, what is the rest of the building look like? You know, or, you know, d does anyone actually live upstairs here or whatever? Maybe not that, that might be a little creepy, but you know, like, <laughs> you, 
You can ask questions to people. You can start looking and figuring things out. You can start kind of taking notes. You know, put there, if any of you have a smartphone, which most of you probably do, you have a note section on your phone. Find it. Take pictures of the building. Write down notes of things you see or things the owner tells you. Little by little, you're going to learn stuff. But just overall, just go look out there. The wide world, the internet's huge. Look up YouTube. I'm sure there's stuff on there too for building construction and Main Street firefighting. That's all I have for today. I, I really hope this helped you out. I, I've been wanting to put this episode together pretty much since the beginning, since I started this podcast. Um, just because I feel like it's something very important that a lot of volunteer departments just don't know how to start gathering the information or, or even where to start. They, they feel like it's such a big task and it's just, it's too big. So you don't know where to start. It's, I, I do that all freaking day, all the time, especially on big projects. I'm like, I, it's too big. It's too overwhelming. I'm just going to put it off. <laughs> That's the wrong thing to do, Taylor. Don't put it off. You hate yourself in the end for putting it off because then it's like two hours before the project's due and you have to scramble and figure everything out, which is pretty much what you'd be end up doing on a fire scene if you did that too. So don't do that. Don't put it to the last minute. Start somewhere. Start small. Start with one thing. Start figuring out one thing. Then add the next thing. Then start working on the next thing. That's how you build these big old project types of pre-plans. <laughs> all right. So that's all I got. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, see you on the next episode. I have no idea what's coming up next. I feel like that's kind of the name of the game here lately. Um, but I do know I have some fun guests coming on, some interesting guests coming on. And we're just going to, I don't know. Topics are just going to be kind of up in the air, whatever I feel like each week. So, so enjoy the suspense until next week. See you later. Thanks for coming by and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Couplings Fire Podcast. See you next time, everybody.